0: everybody, you are listening to the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Alex Savage versus back again for the first time in nearly two weeks on a Tuesday here from my recording studio, not really recording studio, but my home in Brooklyn. Here are some of today's topics that we'll talk about. Damari Scott and Sam Beal opted out of the 2020 NFL season. DeAndre Baker was charged with a couple counts of armed robbery with a gun, obviously, and Ross Cockrell is back for the first time since 2017. Zach Diassi, the longtime Giant Long Snapper, drafted in the fourth round of 2007 draft, has recently retired. August 7th, he announced his retirement. Miguel Andujar and Nick Nelson got sent down. I would have said Estrada, but he's back in the big leagues again. Giancarlo Stanton landed on the IL during the Rays series. We're also going to do a Rays series recap and a Braves series preview as well. So, it's great to be back everybody, and we have a lot of topics to talk about, we also have on Friday the premiere of the interview with Dale Scott, former MLB umpire, 32 years in the MLB, even before the merged AL and NL. So let's get into topic number one, which is the Damari Scott and Sam Beal opt out. Now Damari Scott is not too concerning, I must say, even though I support players who don't get a lot of opportunities. He opted out, actually, a couple days after Solder did, but a couple days before Sam Beal did. Now, it's not an immediate effect because the Giants have a lot of competition wide receivers on the undrafted free agents. Rice and John, Derek Dillon, Benjamin Victor, Austin Mack, those guys. Corey Coleman also coming back for another preseason last year. He tore his ACL, and obviously you've got the starting three, Slayton, Tate, and Shepard. Scott mainly served as a punt returner last year, I must say, He had a 35-yard punt return against the Dolphins after the Sam Beal tackle safety, so those two actually tie in on one subject, and another as well, the opt-out in the Dolphins game. He wasn't really used as a pass receiver and a pass catcher, really. Um, He did not really get a lot of targets either. He was the return man mostly when Golden Tate wasn't able to return it, or Jabro Peppers. He was mostly that guy that they landed on, and he didn't do that bad. Obviously, he had that one punt return, kick return after the safety, but... Other than that, I didn't see him really making the rosters an impact. Maybe in special teams, but you have Cody Core for a reason, the Gunner, number seventeen, and you could make roster spots for two hundred free agents. Maybe Corey Coleman, maybe somebody else. But there's not a lot of drama around that as much as the Sam Beal subject. I'm gonna get into why Sam Beal was drafted in the supplemental draft in 2018, the first year with Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman. Gettleman drafted him they surrendered the third round for next year obviously they would get that back with the Odell Beckham trade and I think they got a second one back but I'm not too sure now here's why he obviously got injured he got a shoulder injury in camp and he was out for the whole 2018 season he also had another injury which had him out for the first couple of games of the 2019 season so realistically he's only played a matter of six games in his career and you look at the opt-out he opted out, and that's an eighth of what he should have had. Because Giants did make the playoffs from 2018, and we don't know if they'll make it this year. But that's about an eighth of what he should have had. Because you had 16 games, 2018, 2019, 2020. I'm not saying he wouldn't have been, or would have been an immediate starter, but he could have played on special teams and could have been possibly a help for the Giants. But unfortunately, he was out 2018, 2019 for the first half of the season, and then merged back into the starting rotation really with baker Ballantine, love all those guys at corner and in the secondary and he had his woes to fix he did caused a couple of pass interference penalties he had a lot to improve on not as much as maybe a guy like ballantyne but he still had to improve on stuff and then he opts out of 2020 i'm not going to go ahead and say oh you can't opt out of 2020 you have a lot to fix that's nate Solder's situation also but i'm not going to make judgment of that i already discussed that Sam Beal has his career in jeopardy with the Giants. Now, I'm not saying, oh, he's going to not play again, but he might not play for the Giants again. A lot of people look at this and say, oh, Dave Gediman wasted another pick. Well, he didn't know that he was going to get so many injuries, you know, throughout his first three years of his NFL career. Well, not really first three. I mean, first two and then obviously the opt-out. But Sam Beal has to look at it from a different standpoint, like, what do they think of me now that now that i'm opting out do they think of me differently or they think of me you know just not as a quality starter or something it's going to be interesting though but with the ross Cockrell and deandre baker subject just in like a couple seconds here we get to discuss the whole corner situation now which actually looks better than it did before and i'll tell you why right now so obviously skipping into the next subject deandre baker was formerly charged with four counts of robbery and obviously with a firearm as well and Quentin Dunbar obviously got off the commissioner's exempt list. And DeAndre Baker took away his appeal for the commissioner's exempt list. He actually took away his appeal and he admits he's going to stay there, I guess. And he said he's willing to testify in doing that stuff. What good will that do in most cases? Because right now, he's the eye target for the police. Quentin Dunbar looks like he's innocent right now, but do we know that? No. Apparently, there's insufficient evidence, but gets to another subject. Ross Cocker was signed. He's the former Pittsburgh Steelers, former Carolina Panther, who was also a former Buffalo Bill. But he played solid in 2017. If you look at the tape and stuff, he could play nickel. He could play outside. He did really solid for a cornerback group that was really misshapen. Janoris Jenkins, multiple suspensions. Eli Apple, the same. DRC, on and off the field. Brandon Dixon, inconsistent at times when he had to be the number one or the number two corner. Darryl Morris, not knowing much about him, But he was an okay corner. He wasn't horrible. But my point is he stuck in there and worked the hardest or one of the hardest on the team in 2017 when everybody was quitting on Ben McAdoo. When everybody was quitting on him, he was continuing to work hard. And a lot of people, teammates and coaches and beat writers were saying that one thing that stands out to you about Ross Cockrell is that he has one of the best work ethics. And we see this guy, Joe Judge, as a no nonsense guy. And if Cockrell comes to work and he gets to play and all that stuff, he's a solid corner for our team. And you could say, oh, well, you are against Logan Ryan. You know, you're not against Cockrell. Because Cockrell. He played decent for the Giants in 2017. He's not demanding of how many million dollars that Logan Ryan is, and he's not trying to make himself expendable and fakely expendable. I don't know if Logan Ryan seriously wants to play safety. If you saw that report by Pro Football Chase and a couple other people that Logan Ryan was comparing his safety stats, or his agent was, to 32 NFL teams. He emailed them, blah, 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 blah. But it's all trying to get Logan Ryan signed. Now, a lot of people questioned why the Giants didn't sign him, and a lot of people are actually unhappy more than you would think with this signing because you're like oh why don't you get logan ryan you know he's at least more solid logan ryan is a slot corner and you know he was demanding of a lot of money and you don't necessarily want someone like him that you're gonna have to extend sooner or later because if you sign logan ryan to a one-year contract maybe like 14 mil I don't know what his height wants to be when it comes to earning money per year. But that's somebody you're going to have to sign in a long-term contract. That's why everybody likes and dislikes wanting to get Jadevian Clowney. You're going to have to sign him to a long-term contract in the future. So why are you wasting your cap money that you're going to need next year when Nate Solder comes back? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. But Cockrell, he probably will get something around, I don't know, 6 mil. But again, he's not a Pro Bowl corner. He's not demanding of money either, and he's solid. We know what he's about, and different scheme where, you know, Patrick Graham loves these DBs, he's going to be excessive use, and if you take a look at it, this cornerback room looks more solid. You could say, oh, he borrowed from the Panthers, oh, Dave Gettleman. I don't want to hear that, because you're going against something that you know is not true. Yes, he got it from the Panthers, but Cockrell's a solid player don't listen to pff giving him these 59.8 grades or whatever you know look at the tape for yourself look at the stats too three interceptions and i think it was like 12 pass deflections in 2017 in a year where the secondary was horrendous but going back to my point you know you look at the secondary it looks a lot better in some cases you know You're not going to have DeAndre Baker trotting out there. You're not going to be like, oh, is DeAndre Baker going to make it back? You know, is he going to be the hype that he wants to be? Is he going to be a better player than last year? Is Ballantyne going to struggle in the slot? Is he going to be a two corner is it going to be rotational corner is he going to get better is bill going to get better so you're not going to have to worry about a lot of that now julian love will be in the mix at corner or safety that's why i like him he's very expendable and with this Cockrell signing and you get love out on the field you get bradbury out on the field it gives time for darning Holmes to develop you could either put love at safety mckinney at safety peppers at safety whatever you want to do with putting guys in the box and putting them in the secondary whatever you want to do it gives time for Holmes to develop put them in there on occasion and let him develop with playing time and with good plays last season the Giants just threw their cornerbacks out into the fire they didn't really sign anybody Janoris Jenkins yeah he was the number one corner for the past couple of years and he had puppies playing around him in a scheme where it was very different and it was very diverse and very complicating in a way for some people and some players. You know, you had Baker who showed lackluster effort on some plays, couldn't catch up to the receiver on some plays, but being misplaced with press coverage and whatever you want to call it. Sam Beal was being put in the slot. Valentine being put in the slot. Those two guys don't fit in the slot. They're outside corners. That's really my emphasis here. You have a better system coming in, possibly. Now, Graham, he didn't do that well of a defensive coordinator, even though Flores called the plays in Miami. They were one of the worst defenses in the league last year. Then again, where's the talent surrounding them? Honestly, I see an upgrade for both teams in this point because they signed a lot of defensive players, Van Noy, Jones, you name it. But for the Giants, you signed Cockrell, you signed Bradbury, two veterans, Julian Love, coming alive at safety and cornerback. You play him more, he gets better. Darnay Holmes. A lot of advantages to signing Cockrell. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, Cockrell should get an extension after this year if he plays well. He's 29, keeping in mind of his age. But at least if this year turns out to be a shithole or something like that, either it gets canceled or the Giants don't do good, at least you have Ross Cockrell, a solid veteran too corner two to at least show the young guys that are still learning hey this is what you do you know he's a respected veteran I'm not going to say he's a leader but he's a respected veteran in that case and I just think this is a good signing and you're not wasting 16 million dollars on a cornerback that you're only going to have for a year and you're blowing out your salary cap and people could say oh that's Leonard Williams but that's a different topic don't bring Leonard Williams in the same Logan Ryan topic just don't because when it comes to a one-year deal yeah Williams is younger So I don't want to hear that point, but minorly right here, I'm going to talk about the Zach Diossi subject. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but he's played a total of 199 games in his career. He's made six tackles, obviously all special teams related, was drafted as a linebacker, but also could long snap, much like his father, two-time Pro Bowler in 2008 and 2010, also two-time Super Bowl champion for 2007 and 2011 teams. So, even though he struggled last year and Rosas struggled a little bit because of his poor snapping ability, I wish him luck in retirement. I think he's working for Goldman Sachs or somebody else now, but I wish him luck. And honestly, he's like Steve Diasi. I don't know if I would put him in the Ring of Honor or the Hall of Fame, but he's just a solid player that's been a leader for the special teams and he's been there for the past couple of years and knows what's going on. So that's what I have to say on the Giants topics and stuff. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm kind of happy because Giants training camp report is back on and it's good to see that Bob Papa and Carl Banks are sitting next to each other Well, a little bit of social distancing, but it's good to see that they're actually in the same building and they're not virtual like a couple other people. I mean, it's going to take time, but I just like seeing the normalcy a little bit there and it's going to get there soon, hopefully. So I talked about the Giants first and I'm going to go to the Yankees, but first... Looking for the coolest gaming gear to finish your setup? Are you not willing to buy the same headphones at Best Buy or GameStop because a week later you have to come back for a refund? That is where AllToDoWithGaming.com comes into play. They sell the best gaming technology from gaming computers, monitors, and laptops to light up keyboards, chairs, headphones, and more. Get 30% off your entire order with the promo code BIGBLUE30. That is BIGBLUE30. Stop being ripped off by GameStop and other big stores and go to alltodowithgaming.com now. You won't regret it. Now on to the Yankees topics. So we got some stuff to talk about with the Yankees topics, of course. Clint Frazier was called back up today. It was a couple hours ago, uh, obviously, to help out with the outfield depth. But also a couple days ago, while I was away, Miguel Andujar, Nick Nelson, and Tyro Estrada got sent down, but Estrada got called back up so it was just and nelson now let me just give my thoughts on duhar here now the last two years he struggled in limited opportunities obviously he had the injury in 2019 and then this year he's just not doing well let's take a look at his stats from 2019 obviously in limited opportunities that was in 12 games he had no home runs one rbi 128 batting average 11 strikeouts a 143 on base percentage slugging of 128 he also had six hits and 47 at-bats contributing obviously the 128 batting average so obviously we could tell that he struggled a little bit before his injury finally set sail to him and you know had him out for the entire 2019 season or at least you know the rest of it so let's go to 2020 when he got a new opportunity obviously there were questions talking about whether Gio Oshela was going to share time in her third with Andujar. It doesn't really seem like that so far. It seems like that on occasion they'll start him in left field and Mike Talkman and Mark Gardner will also get time there as well. And as I said before, I'm not going to rant on it. I'm not going to discuss it a lot here. I'm just going to say that I don't know why you're putting him in left field when you have Clint Frazier, you have Mike Talkman, Gardner could play on occasion even though he's struggling a little bit, did hit two home runs recently. But I'm just saying, you know, why are you not giving him the opportunity to at least share some time at third because the emphasis was oh get him better at third you know defense that's always been a factor for him especially coming in 2019 and obviously the injury happened why not get him better at third base then put him in left field just doesn't make any sense maybe they're trying to make him expendable but I guess that's how the Yankees want to do it just in case they had another massacre like last year with all of the hitters and the pitchers and everything with all the injuries that happened last year i guess they just wanted to make sure but i don't know that andu har being in left field is really a good idea to me but we'll see how he does in the future but for right now he's obviously sent down and this year in limited opportunity he hit worse than last year five games 14 plate appearances 14 at bats one run one hit 071 average three strikeouts so the strikeouts aren't bad but just in limited opportunity he's got. he's only got one hit in 14 at-bats 071 average that tells you pretty much everything there i mean i know game sensitivity and a lot of that stuff goes into impact and especially when you're looking at baseball analytics but you just see that over the past two years and has regressed in limited opportunities especially when he's in the big situations you know Obviously, again, as I said, only three strikeouts, but it's also five games and 14 plate appearances. So, that's something else to look at. Now, another guy that got sent down, and I liked him. It's kind of sad, Dick Nelson. He actually did not that bad when it came to the scrimmages and also the exhibition games as well. It just, he had a bad appearance against the Phillies when they lost in the doubleheader the game one. Which was 11 to 7. It was in Philly, but the Yankees were the home team for the first one, and then they obviously switched home and away teams. But I'll give you his stats for on the year. He had an 11.57 ERA. He had one win, two games, 4.2 innings pitched, seven runs, six earned, seven hits, no walks, four strikeouts, and 25 batters faced. So it's not that bad for Nelson. It's just that one outing that he couldn't get out of and I guess Aaron Boone and the whole front office decided okay we gotta send him down maybe he needs more work so maybe Nick Nelson just had like one bad spot but for Yankee fans are saying oh we gotta trade this guy now we gotta send him down you know don't bring him up again it's one appearance guys come on he was a decent pitcher before actually this outing against the Phillies obviously I hate the whole seventh inning rule and I'm gonna get to that in a little bit because I'm a rant on it actually but for the sending down of nick nelson maybe it is maybe it isn't a good idea but my point is you know it's one outing don't totally cancel him don't totally just outright send him down for the rest of the year because the yankees gonna need some bullpen depth at some point and outside of this one outing against the phillies he could be that guy so i don't understand you know with all the people just hating on him yes he had a bad outing is it right no but it's one outing and he showed some decency before this Honestly, I think he's better than Michael King in some cases because King could either be a starter or a long reliever. He really struggled. He has. He struggled against the Rays. He struggled against the Nationals that second game of the season that was on Fox. He struggled mightily, gave up a home run to Victor Robles and a couple others. He has struggled. And I honestly think that, you know, Nick Nelson has a higher ceiling than maybe Michael King has I'm not saying give up on Michael King I'm not saying that's a chance Adams but just something to you know maybe put out there I'm gonna put a take on it obviously but I just think that Nelson has a higher ceiling than King does right now because Nelson showed some stuff he did he did show some stuff right before the Phillies game and as I said gave up seven runs but King he has his struggles too and I don't know why Yankee fans aren't canceling him out and I'm not saying it's right that they should, or they shouldn't, but don't hate on Nick Nelson for one bad appearance when Michael King has struggled in a couple appearances this season. Yes, it's tough, but you got to make do of what the situation actually is. So let me get out this rant real quick about the 7th inning. Now, obviously Manfred a couple days ago made it a rule that every doubleheader this season is required to have 7 innings only. Not 9, not 8, 7. Manfred did this because... He claims, obviously, it's a shortened season. And I agree with that. It's obviously a shortened season because they got so late on the deal, and they're only playing 60 games this season. Now, let me tell you why it's bad. Now, you have a shorter season, correct? Also, you have seven inning games for doubleheaders. Yeah, we get that, oh, you want to decrease the amount of time that players have with each other because of the COVID virus. Yeah, I get that, but also... You are possibly diminishing the fact that other teams possibly are depending on these 7 ending doubleheaders if their games get rained out and possibly go to the playoffs. And don't give me this whole, oh, there's expanded playoffs this year. Yeah, I get that. But it's also for the Millennials. It's a secret reason also because you notice a lot of this pace-to-play bullshit this year. You have the runner on second rule. You had the possibility of friggin' ties, which I didn't even know until somebody told me that they were thinking about it. I almost flipped out, but I said, that's football. This is not football. This is baseball. There's something called extra innings. And obviously, Manfred's like, oh, let's put the runner on second. You know, let's be honest, everybody, for at least 20 seconds, he's wanted to do this ever since he's become the commissioner of baseball after Bud Selig left. He's going to make this permanent. The runner on second rule. And I'll get to the 7th inning rule in just like 20 seconds or something. He wants to make this permanent. To make the game more catered towards millennials. Let's be honest. Because he's like, oh, pace of play, pitch, clock, this, that, the other thing. Baseball is America's pastime. I'm not going to sit here and watch a game for 20 minutes. That's not happening. It's a pastime. People are supposed to be there and enjoy the game, enjoy watching the game. It's a family thing. It's an American thing. And he wants to sit here and crap on baseball. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't like Manfred for this reason. Seventh inning rule. Yes, you limit the time that players have with each other because of the COVID virus. But at the same time, you're diminishing the time and the experience for other players, or other teams at least, that are trying to make the playoffs like the Cardinals and the Phillies and the Marlins or something. Because they have had so many games postponed because some of the idiot players decided, oh, let's go out to a nightclub. Let's go out to a strip club. Let's go out to a casino. No. Manfred, his job should have been putting people in bubbles or at least enforcing the rules. And he hasn't done that yet. And I'm going to be really pissed off if he doesn't punish Alex Cintron. I'm not an athletics fan. I'm not an Astros fan but the fact that the Astros are antagonizing people to come after them is such bullshit, it's not even funny. Manfred has been protecting the Astros for the longest time, and he needs to punish Alex Cintron. I'm not saying Ramon Lorano didn't do anything bad by charging the dugout, but you know what? Cintron should get a couple of games, because if you take a look at it, the pitcher and Lorano combined, that's what Joe Kelly did. That's what Joe Kelly did, and he got eight-game suspension. So don't give me that crap and the seventh inning rule, I'm not happy with it, not, short time, yeah, sure, it possibly, you know, prevents infection for a longer time, but you know it. if you look at it in the long run, it's not gonna do so good with other teams, and other teams will be unhappy about it, so my next topic is Giancarlo Stanton going on the DL, now, I'm gonna hopefully find the graphic, but MLB Network had something where it posted Giancarlo Stanton's injury history, it's dating from when he came into the league and also dating to now so you had injuries from 2010 2016 and then 2017 2018 he didn't have any injuries 2019 and 2020 obviously he had injuries and Giancarlo Stanton is now on the DL for the Yankees I'm sorry the IL because we have to make it the IL now not the DL I'm so used to saying DL but it's now IL for the last two years So this time, he's on the I.L. with a hamstring strain. Here's how he got it. He walked in the fourth inning of one of the Rays games and advanced on a wild pitch. There, he tightened his hamstring. Obviously, after the game, Boone said he's going on the DL most likely. He's going to get an MRI, but obviously, he's on the DL now. Let's take a look at his stats from this year. He actually did quite well. If you look at the first couple of games, 14 games, 54 plate appearances, 41 at-bats, 10 runs. 12 hits, three doubles, three home runs, seven RBIs, one stolen base, one time he got caught stealing, 10 walks, 11 strikeouts, 293 batting average, 453 on base percentage, 585 slugging, and the rest you see through on the graphic. So the strikeouts weren't that bad. They weren't as bad as obviously in the years past, obviously because it's an opportunity that's limited. So, we didn't see him in a full 60 games, well, technically, that would be the full 60 games in the regular season for this season, but other seasons would be 162 games. Obviously, he hasn't played nearly a full season since 2018, so that's just something to also point out, but last two years, he's gotten injured, and he started off pretty well. Obviously, he had 38 home runs in 2018, but rest of two years, it's been lower strikeouts, but he's gotten on the DL. Obviously, he had 211 strikeouts in his first year with the Yankees in 2018. Obviously, everybody remembers ranting on that because, oh my God, he had so many home runs, but he had so many strikeouts too. Honestly, this isn't necessarily surprising knowing that, you know, Stanton Stanton, he's had his fair share of injuries over his career, and the Mons gave him a large contract, refuted that, and traded him. And the Yankees got him, and he's had injuries, and he's had strikeouts. It's a mixed bag, if you think about it. And I think it's better than Jacoby Ellsbury, but you're in a similar situation. Ellsbury hadn't played a game since, like, 2018 or 2017 or something like that. So everyone trying to attack Stanton, oh, you're the new Jacoby Ellsbury. Well, he's put up the stats in the limited opportunities. He just gets injured a lot. And honestly said that Yankee fans are actually thinking he likes getting injured which he doesn't and people know that they just like to make a name for themselves on social media and that's how it is so that's the end of much of the Stanton topic and let's go ahead and take away some things from the race series so let's take away some things just right off the bat now I couldn't watch most of the race series if anything because I was mostly in Pennsylvania for the time and I couldn't watch it because the person's house I was staying at had Roku, and they didn't necessarily had Fox Sports, but whatever. I found ways of seeing highlights through the game, creating graphics, watching game day, finding out from other people what happened. So let's do some basic takeaways right now. They obviously lost three out of four to the Rays, and the Rays are now 9-8. and eight. They're second in the standings to the Yankees, of course, and they were 8-8. Eight and eight coming out of the series and coming into the series they're actually under 500 so the three games boosted them and the one loss didn't really do much of anything of course that was on the doubleheader day that Garrett Cole pitched so some takeaways Stanton gets injured obviously that was a loss for the Yankees the bullpen wasn't exactly the old reliable in this case you had losses by Britain. you had losses by Aravino. to point out most notably in the game where Britain lost. Paxton obviously struggled in the 7th inning, gave up back-to-back home runs to Michael Brazo and also Brandon Lowe, Boone took him out, and then bottom of the ninth inning, Britton couldn't hold it, gave up a walk-off RBI single to Michael Perez, and obviously we lost 3 or 4 from there. So, to look back, also on someone starting pitching, Tanaka Tanaki's going to pitch this series against the Braves, and also he didn't do bad, but let's take a look at his stats, 5 innings pitched, 1 hit. 59 pitches thrown, obviously, so it's in five innings, and I guess their ideology and their thing is like, okay, obviously, since the concussion, let's let the workload slowly get back up to what it used to be, because obviously, he got hit with the ball on a Giancarlo State in the line drive in practice on July 4th, so I guess from there, they want to take it easy, even though also, you know, we do have a short season, so they're going to try to obviously ease both into more of a compromise and Slowly go from there. So, look at Garrett Cole's start, which was the second game of the four game set in Tampa. He didn't do that bad. Four and a two thirds innings pitch, six hits, three earned runs, three runs obviously, all of them earned. One walk, 10 K's, and one home run. Obviously, he struggled a bit in the fifth inning, gave up an RBI, and then obviously, Jose Martinez hit a home run. So, that was the third run of the ball game and then they came in with Chad Green gave up a run but the bullpen was solid from there I must say and the bullpen contributed to that and obviously the bullpen and the hitting contributed to that win now let's take a look at another start from that series as well this is the Michael King start that's game three but game two of the double header King as I said he didn't do that well and I put up before obviously the point that Nick Nelson got one bad start or at least one bad appearance and he got sent down. But Michael King, he's just been consistently struggling. Here's one of the pinpoints of that point that I made earlier three and a two thirds innings pitched, one hit, three earned runs, five walks, and four K's. Obviously, got taken out three and a two thirds innings. My opinion I think the Yankees want him to become a long reliever, slash maybe a bullpen starter, or maybe even starter itself. But he needs a lot to work on and if the Yankees want him to become that they need to probably send him down in my opinion I know it's a short season I know he looked good in the scrimmages and stuff but when you have this type of stat and it's a short season and you're fighting for a playoff spot maybe if you don't even win the division or someone else wins the division and you're in the playoffs and you have this type of start it just doesn't all flow together nicely and you want that to happen If you want him to become a reliever like Chad Green, send him down. Make him get work done. Obviously, the walks are a problem, and obviously the lack of going long. The pitch count was high. The pitch count was at 70 pitches in three or two-thirds innings. He needs to get that down a little bit. So that's a lot of stuff for him to work on, and... As I said before, Nick Nelson gets sent down after one appearance, but Michael King has struggled against the Nationals, against the Rays, hasn't gotten sent down yet. I'm not saying I'm rooting for him to get sent down, but I want to see more improvement, I think Yankee fans want to see that as well. So the final topic today that I'm going to talk about is obviously a preview at this Brave series. Now, they're not the leaders in their division by winning percentage, that's the Marlins, but they are 11-7, they have more wins, just more losses as well. So tonight's Probables say is Tuesday I'm recording this obviously in a couple of parts from Monday and Tuesday but tonight's probables are Tukey Toussaint and Jordan Montgomery let's take a look at Toussaint's stats from his last start obviously spanning back to when they faced the Blue Jays so here are his stats from that game six two-thirds innings pitched four hits three runs nine Ks one home run and 83 pitches in that total game So his ERA for the total season is right now at a 6.08. Let's look at his stats from this season in a total standpoint. 6.08 ERA, 3 games, 2 games started, 12 hits, 9 earned runs, 13.1 innings pitched, 2 home runs, 20 strikeouts, 4 walks, and a whip of 1.20. Now let's take a look at Jordan Montgomery's stats from his last time out. We know his stats on the season. Obviously, this is spanning back to the series against the Phillies, a 5-4 loss to Philadelphia. Montgomery, four innings pitched, six hits, five earned runs, one walk, two Ks, a home run given up, and that was JT Vomutos, obviously. 95 pitches within four innings, and David Hale had to eventually come in and try to save the day. He didn't give up a run either, and neither did Holder, but the Yankees still lost that game. So Montgomery has showed his ups and downs in this year's campaign, but honestly, I thought he was impressive in the scrimmages and and in the exhibition games, but hasn't shown it in the last start, especially given up five runs to the Phillies' offense. And they could be very high powered when JT Romuto and all cylinders are clicking. So let's take a look at the game two probables which is Kyle Wright versus Masahiro Tanaka. Here are Wright's stats from his last start, obviously spanning back to the game against the Phillies. They lost five to nothing. Here are his stats six innings pitched, six hits, four and runs, three walks. 3Ks, 2 home runs, 91 pitches in that span of his start. Now let's take a look at his stats on the year. 6.75 ERA, 3 games started, 12 innings pitched, 15 hits, 9 earned runs, 2 home runs, 10 walks, 59 batters faced, and 11 strikeouts. And once again, I'm going to go over Masahiro Tanaka's stats from the last start. And here it is. Obviously, that was the first game against the Tampa Bay Rays. That was a one nothing loss, and Adovina lost that game. But here are Tanaka Stats, 5 innings pitch, 1 hit, 5 strikeouts and 59 pitches. Obviously, I mentioned something about the workload. Let's see if it increases on Wednesday. It'll be interesting to see. But to take a look at this preview for the Braves staff and the pitching staff, I mean, they've really... Tried to hold it together ever since Soroka landed on the IL for the rest of the season. So here are their starters right now. They're sticking with a four man rotation. They have obviously 2K Toussaint, Kyle Wright, Max Freed, and Sean Newcomb. Obviously, the best stats come out of Max Freed, second best, probably Newcomb. But the two other starters, Toussaint and Wright, have some struggles in there. Obviously, walks, home runs, runs, whatever you want to look at the stats individually but this Braves offense still has some lightning to it when it can be powerful. You got hitters like Ronald Acuna, Marcelo Zuna, Freddie Freeman, Travis D'Arnold, the former Met. So it's nothing to sleep on here, and it's going to be with most of these opponents that we actually face. Now, they're not leading the division. Well, they are actually by wins, but not by winning percentage. But for the Yankees, I think Tanaka should do well, in my opinion. But for Montgomery I think he should have rebound with this start he has to use his pitches wisely against this offense obviously Acuna and Freeman and all those other guys are very powerful but you could also strike them out and hold them the Phillies have done that and other teams have done that but this is one of the best teams in the MLB right now and they have been ever since like two years ago so It's not surprising either. They have had a lot of guys run through the system, the young guys especially, getting trades and obviously running guys through the system, as I just mentioned, like Dansby Swanson, when he could produce, he's a fireball. So this is mainly my preview, and that is the end of the podcast episode. Hopefully, I get this out before the game tonight. I don't know that I will, but just to keep an eye on, this was recorded before the game, so if I get any predictions wrong or previews wrong, you know that this is recorded before. Thank you guys for supporting us on social media, Twitter, Instagram. Thank you guys for liking our recent posts and stuff. Our podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, Podbeat, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, and CastBox. Also, we have Dale Scott coming on friday he actually is doing the interview with me on wednesday but it's gonna be for friday's podcast episode and it's gonna be really fun and i'm one of these days hoping to do a live episode live stream on youtube where we're just going over the topics and having a fan discussion or something like that i really hope to do it within this week actually maybe next week or the week after that hopefully before the summer ends thank you guys for supporting keep downloading the podcast episodes keep following the pages and we will see you on friday